G'day listeners, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Code. I'm Mike. I'm Campbell. And this week, uh, we're going to explore the, the topic of what is open source? We go over quite a few different topics, um, sort of free software and open source, that whole conundrum of explaining open source to friends and family, contributing back, and um, open source beyond code. So where collaborative workflows and open source workflows can work outside of uh, software. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy the episode and we'll get into it. G'day again to you, Cam. Uh, what have you been up to over the last little while? Oh, I just had a holiday, um, was away from my computer and went down uh, to a little seaside uh, holiday area for about a week. Oh, so nice. yeah, just relaxing and um, yeah. Time with the family. Yeah. Doing a little bit of Emacs coding just for fun, but nothing too serious. You're still on holiday, are you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm having four weeks of holiday before the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, so not too much to report. Um, yeah, how about you? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not really. I don't usually take time off over Christmas because uh, work work gets a lot quieter, and um, <clears throat> if I'm still working, that means I actually have some time to do some actual work rather than being distracted with phone calls and emails and all the rest of it. So um, I'll probably be doing the same uh, this year, and yeah, just work and all the usual stuff for me at the moment. Okay, well. Uh... <laughs> Do you want to just get into the main topic? We've got a bit to talk about. So I suppose to start us off, um, you know, when, when conversations come up about, you know, what, what the nature of open source is, um, often, well, I mean, sometimes at least there's a bit of a discussion about the, you know, the difference between open source software and uh, free software and those those different philosophies. Um What's what's your take on that, Kim? My take on it is that it's not a great discussion to have generally. It's like inviting mm. someone, you know, to join a group of people and then suddenly having this internal factional disputes about something which may not even seem very important to, uh, you know, someone who's like maybe introduced to the concept of just, yeah. you know, having, op- having code being shared at all. And I think it's mm. a bit of a risk maybe not a risk, but it's, it's, it's kind of off-putting to, to get too down in the weeds with the whole sort of open source versus free software. You feel like it's a bit of a distraction or something? Uh, or? How to say it? Like it's kind of nuanced. And so to unpack the topic actually takes a long time. So you're not just explaining the topic, you're having to spend quite a lot of time unpacking the topic for them properly to understand it so they can see, you know, whatever perspective you have on this whole open source free software thing. And it just, Mm. you just get in the weeds really quickly. It's an issue. And there are times when you may want to, you know, use one over the other there, depending on, you know, what motivations you have and the project you're working Mm. on, but trying to explain that to someone, I don't think you win friends and influence people by doing that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I suppose to, to, quickly try and go go over a definition for you know maybe those listening that might not be aware uh, i mean the, the basic idea with both free and open source software is that um, there is some sort of accessibility uh, for all users to the original source code for the software that you're using and depending on the the type of um, software, the distinction between those two different types. Um, there's, you know, potentially 
you know, further freedoms around how uh, that software is modified and uh, further distributed and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, so something that I came across that which which seemed to be a nice, concise um, way of explaining the difference between open source software and free software in particular is um, just something I came across in Wikipedia, a, a transcript of an interview from the mid-2000s between uh, Richard Stallman and um, a, a journalist at the time. And uh, basically the idea was that often, you know, the outward result or goal of free software and open source software is often quite convergent, but um, the, the motivations for the two different um, approaches are, are just different. So uh, the idea being that open source software is about is, is more of a technical movement um, with a, a focus on uh, having a, a collaborative approach to using and, and um, developing software so that, you know, that the best minds possible are involved in, in development of that software and you get the, the best result in terms of efficiency and effectiveness um, in, in the source code. Whereas uh, the basic idea with free software is um, it's more of a, a concern with the ethics of um, uh, control of software and whether it should be, whether it's um, leg- legitimate to have proprietary software or whether um it's it's an there's an ethical reason to um, ensure that there's only free software that's in existence basically so that that's that was my take on um, what I read of you know the explanation of the difference between the two yeah and that is kind of a harder sell I think to say like yeah. oh well proprietary software is inherently unethical I mean even if you mm. believe it it's if someone's being introduced to it to the topic. It's, it's quite a strong stance, I think, particularly yes, yeah. if they're happily using proprietary software and they don't personally have a problem with it. It is interesting mm. to go down the path of like explaining or reading about why it can be unethical or, you know, reading the arguments mm. at least. I'm not sure yeah, if I'd say it's yeah. unethical. It's more like, it, well, anyway... I'd rather not yeah. get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, like that's yeah, that's you know, you, you're more you're coming back to your personal opinion on this, and um, from from what I can see, yeah, that that's the 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 um, position of you know organisations like the Free Software F- Foundation is that um, proprietary software is unethical, and you know everyone's going to have their own opinion about whether that's correct or not, but that's basically how they they pitch it. Yeah, and we should just mention, um, so often the uh, motivations boil down to using different licenses where open source people might use a permissive license, which is effectively, just roughly, uh, fairly close to public domain, although there are some Hmm. caveats there. But generally speaking, you know, you can do what you want. You can use it for closed source software or use it for whatever you want. Hmm. And the advocates of that would say, well, that's the most free because you can... Uh, you know, you can do what you want with it without there being many strings attached. Mm. And um, then there's um, copyleft uh, licensing, such as the GPL, where you have an obligation to keep that code open. If you release software that has um, that uses this license, the code needs to be available too. So it can't be closed, so to speak. It can't become closed later on, yeah. which values yeah. the freedom of the user um, being able to always access the source code to the software they're using. Yeah, and there's obviously a, a spectrum of licensing options between those two extremes. Yeah, 
So I've talked to developers about this whole sort of open source versus free software conundrum. And um, I mean, personally, I've released software under both licenses. Um, and I think there's a pretty good argument to be made for, you know, any library that you want to be using everywhere, like middleware, you know, image formats or compression, you know, you just, if you have like a compression format that you want everyone to use, just release it a permissive license that people can do what they want. So, you know, everyone's got the same compression. Um, you know, libpng can be used by a web browser that's closed as well as one that's open. It's quite handy. Whereas there is more of an argument to be made for copyleft um, when you're talking about sort of end user applications. You don't want someone taking that adding three or four features and then locking it up and charging money for it, hmm. um, which wouldn't be allowed with a copyleft license. So while I know there's people who have strong opinions about both licensing, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made for using, you know, permissive licenses for middleware and uh, copyleft for sort of larger end user applications. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's legitimacy in both approaches, but it just depends on, yeah, on, on the motivations and, and the requirements. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'd rather not be judgmental about people when they make these decisions because it yeah. comes down to their own motivations and the motivations of the group they're working with. If some aspects of the license are important to them, I'd rather not, you know, be too critical of them for that. Yeah, so if we, I mean, if we focus more on the open source side, um, is there, what, what, what are the, what are the, I suppose, the key advantages of, um, using an open source approach with software development as opposed to um, doing proprietary software. I mean, for, for, to my mind, um, a, a big part of it is open source. And an open source approach means that um, it's easier for a raw sort of meritocracy, meritocracy to be established because there's not, you know, um, there's not motivations come, stemming from, you know, um, salaries or your know, vendor lock-in or anything like that it's you know um you know every man and his dog is able to to be involved if if they so wish and you know the, the sort of the cream rises to the top um in terms of you know contributions and and you know um, selection of you know patches to be merged and all that sort of thing um yeah i suppose to, to my mind meritocracy is a, a big part of what's what's good about open source yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of good things. I mean, I think I don't know. I know don't know if I want to enumerate them all because a lot of them are just to do with people being able to scratch their own itch. Hmm. So even if the group of people working on the code don't care about a certain feature, if someone's able to prove that it's useful and and write it themselves, you know, they can contribute that, and other people can yeah. get an advantage from that. And I think that's really nice. But I mean, there's lots of advantages. Hmm. Um, some of them are over are overrated. I think the whole like security and um, auditability. Auditability. I mean that that assumes people are actually auditing the code. That's a criticism that's <laughs> been made before. But yeah. yeah, I think that yeah, it's it's not a given at least. Yeah, but I mean at least um, it, it's possible to audit open source software as opposed to proprietary software, which is just a black box. You know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think and, the assumption is that it has been audited because it's open source, and it's like, well, no, yeah, and <laughs> not necessarily. And, yeah. and there's all sorts of rubbish code out there too. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe there's, 
you know, a bit of a marketing issue there. And to, if, if people do have a tendency to assume that open, because something's open source, it, it has been audited. It's, it's just, that's maybe just a lack of education. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's true in a sense, because for the software that people are likely to be using, it's probably fairly popular. And if it's very yeah. popular projects they're using, it probably has been looked through pretty thoroughly, or at least yeah. probably the security critical parts have been looked through thoroughly. Yeah. And I mean, you've got, you always have the ability to, to fork open source projects if there's concerns with where a project's going. That, that ability to fork is a bit of a two-edged thing, I suppose. And sometimes that can be, you know, sometimes that's an advantage and sometimes that's a disadvantage. Um, it, can, it can allow, you know, resource to be sp- spread too thin or more thinly than it could be otherwise if, if there was, you know, more restriction around um, how people are able to be involved with projects. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Falcon is good because it keeps, sort of keeps people honest in a way you know that if you do a poor job, someone could come along and replace you and, you know, fork the project and do it better and whatever, mm. if you're making money or if there's donations, you know, that would, that would eventually go to them. You can't really sit on your laurels too much. So as a developer, you, you live in constant fear of um, people forking your project and taking it away from you? No, because I know that it's <laughs> maintaining legacy software is a massive hassle and that you have to be really, really motivated. So probably, yeah. like you sort of have to be asleep at the wheel for people to really fork yeah. it. And yeah. I think, side note is the whole GitHub forking thing. Uh, with GitHub, you mm. always fork just to do a pull request. Uh, mm. Differentiating that kind of forking, even though technically it's they're both forks. Uh, yeah. yeah, forking for the purpose of a pull request isn't isn't the same thing as like taking the yeah. project in a new direction and becoming the maintainer. It's not that the forking happens often. It's just that the potential of forking, I think it keeps... Mm. It's a motivator. Maybe it just makes you realize that just by being the author of a project, you're not inherently the person who's going to maintain it if, if other people can do a mm. better job. That's also kind of freeing too, or it could be. You know, if people may start maintaining software that you've written, it's quite nice sometimes because then it's less mm. work for you to have to go and maintain yeah. So I'd like it if some people forked projects that I worked on and started maintaining it instead of me. It would it would give me less mm. less work to do. It'd be good. Yeah, and maybe maybe that ability to fork is sort of a, an epitomization of um, what open source is all about. Is the fact that you might have you might have created um, a piece of software, but if you um, if you publish it as open source, then um, you know that ability to fork is a reminder that. Um, you, you don't you don't retain exclusive ownership of it anymore once that's the case, right? Yeah, although it happens so rarely, like serious forks happen so rarely mm. that yeah, it's almost like the- a theoretical or a hypothetical. Like if if you were to fork a big project, and when I mean serious forks, I should say like forks of large projects where someone wants to take it in a different direction to the author because it's kind of a last mm. resort usually. And even some of the big forks that have happened have ended up merging back in like um, FFmpeg and LibAV comes to mind that had a temporary mm. fork. And historically GCC forked. There was a, a Pentium GCC version that forked and then ended up getting merged back in. And that was a fork that I think really served a purpose from, from what I hear. Um, mm. They had a support for, mm. I think, improved Pentium support for the... GNU C compiler, and eventually that got merged back in, and the fork sort of disappeared. Mm. So, so historically, there have been some some forks that have 
that have worked out well too. I mean, at the top of the show, I, I tried to um, to go through a bit of a, a technical technical explanation of the the difference between open source and free software. But um, sometimes, you know, those of us that are open source enthusiasts um, find ourselves in the position of trying to explain what open source is to friends and family, and that, um, in my experience, at least. That sometimes has uh, mixed mixed results, but I'm not sure how how you how you've gone with that, Cam. I try and be pretty brief with the explanation. Mm. It's basically yeah. yeah, just be brief, and if people want to ask more, they can ask more. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just strikes me that the whole open source um, ethos is, I mean, is really quite foreign to you know the you know the professional world that people are used to in terms of their day jobs and that sort of thing so that it makes it difficult to you know try and explain it from scratch just because of the how different it is in terms of trying to convey you know the the nature of open source to people that aren't familiar with it um like even you know not notwithstanding the you know the philosophical differences between the open source and free software movements even just with open source software um there's still a focus on um uh, like user freedom, as in the the fact that open source is um, libre uh, software, uh, over and above the fact that it is doesn't have to be, but is frequently gratis as well, as in you know free as in beer. Um, I mean, like people, I think you know to the uninitiated, um, the the idea of software that is free as in beer is probably a lot more familiar because you know if you're of a certain vintage you've grown up with you know the experience of shareware software or software and that sort of thing um the idea that you can get software without necessarily having to pay for it all the time but uh you know the comp the concept of the underlying freedom um, beneath that is something that's yeah a little bit more foreign the whole comparison with shareware i find a bit frustrating because then if you're telling people about open source and they go, oh, well, that's like shareware. And then they think of it as being something really like dinky and low quality or, you know, or nags you to yeah. pay $15. And it's like, ah, no, it's not like that. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and yeah, and like I say, it's, it's just by pure, you know, happenstance that, um, you know, open source and free software uh, often just happens to be... Um, you know, available at no no monetary cost, but that's, you know, that's really not a necessity at all. Um, but it just means that because it frequently is available at no cost, people just associate, you know, open source software with software that doesn't cost anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, being able to build software from source is so foreign and uninteresting to most people that it's like... Yeah. It's like making your own car parts or something. It's like, well, maybe yeah, you could, yeah. but they're just not going to bother ever. And they yeah, don't even care yeah. to find out how. And fair enough. Mm. But generally speaking, I don't go too deep explaining this to friends and family because it's the kind of topic that it's like if you were interested in it, you probably would have already looked into it or heard about it. Like it's been around long enough that if people have a real interest in getting into this stuff, I just think they probably yeah. already have a sense of what's going on. And so yeah. when explaining it to someone, I end up just being very brief. And, you know, if they want to know more, they can, as I said. It is interesting to go a little bit deeper sometimes because they may not know that there's like communities of people online who are like regularly doing this work. Like you, you can download software off the internet, sure, 
they might not understand that there's organizations that have their own management and bug trackers and people working like a, you know, that are being funded and stuff. So, hmm. so it is good to let people know that this is like serious software development. It's not just like a bunch of, yeah, bunch of people with spare time messing about, or it isn't just yeah. that. Sometimes it's that too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because if people assume that it's always just a bunch of you know amateurs, you know, just mucking around, then you know that's a misrepresentation of of the of the facts. So yeah, um, and I mean, like I, I know for myself, like you like you were saying just before there, um, if people are really interested, then they'll end up seeking it out. And for myself, you know, it was a matter of. You know, in the beginning, I I came for the beer, and then I ended up staying for the freedom sort of thing. Okay. That's how it worked out for me. <laughs> so yeah. Well, something that I find interesting about sort of the open source communities is sort of the cultural overlaps um, with different groups of people, and they're often sort of incidental. Hmm. Um, for example, you know, you have security, uh, sort of the security and privacy people end up getting into sort of open source software or that you get the Unix people because Linux happens to be based on Unix, this kind of thing. So mm. you get these sort of crossovers of um, different groups of people. I haven't heard anyone talk about this at length. Um, yeah. Yeah, just maybe worth mentioning. Yeah, and I've often thought that it's um, interesting that that particularly that combination of um, open source uh, philosophy with you know the the history of of Unix and and Unix philosophy. Um, I mean, like you know, coming coming into into the open source Linux and open source community from the outside in the beginning. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that you know the whole Unix thing was just a fundamentally free software sort of um, concept, and they were just inextricably. I mean, it was just the same. I thought I thought Unix and um, free and open source software was just synonymous, but um, but that's not really the case. And I mean, as far as that that connection between Unix and you know, free and open source software, there's I suppose there's a lot of different historical reasons why that just happened to end up being the case. But um, as far as Unix itself goes, um, I think my view is that um, there's you know a lot of compatibility between these two areas because unix was always developed as an operating system where you know networking um, was sort of a first class citizen as opposed to something like windows which you know obviously had you know networking uh, functionality and that sort of thing but um, windows was more about you know just um, workstation OS and all about uh, business use and that sort of thing. Whereas Unix was all about, um, you know, collaboration and, and communication and, and that just sort of does dovetails in with the whole open source and free software concept. Um, but I mean, that's, that's just my take on yeah, it, I suppose. Multi-user as well. is pretty, yeah. Yeah. Pretty important for Unix. What's interesting. Well, if you're interested in software history is like how many attempts there have been to replace Unix. Hmm. So you can look into Obron and Plan 9 and uh, Inferno mm. and there's all these projects that have been like, all right, we've got to make a better Unix than Unix or, you know, make something that's going to surpass Unix and none of them really panned out, unfortunately. Mm. Or maybe fortunately, who knows. But yeah, they're, they're interesting to look into. Mm. 
And I suppose um, with, you know, the, those different sort of sub-communities like um, security and privacy people, it's just, you know, um, open source um, software has a number of different features and, and um, some of those features appeal to particular, you know, um, particular communities with a particular focus, you know, like for example, with security or privacy oriented people, you know, I think they're attracted to open source because, um, because it's all like we were saying before, it's auditable, it's out in the open, um, accessible. And, um, and there's also a focus on, you know, like I said before that meritocracy and code quality and that sort of thing. So you want, as far as security goes, you want, best practices to be happening in in software development and that that that's what happens in open source um, yeah i mean all of these um sort of overlaps between different communities they all make sense it's interesting when you hear people talk on podcasts or um you know write articles for example and there's this assumption that you must care as much as they do about security or you must be a sysadmin yeah. like they are or you know they're sort of writing it as if as if just because you use the same system you you're coming from the place they're coming from yeah, it's not the, the open source community as a whole is um, by no means a, a homogenous group. Um, it's it's all different different sub communities with their own own motivations and directions and that sort of thing. And it's a mistake to um, to assume that um, they're everyone's all coming from the same angle and going in the same direction. I suppose. Yeah, and even when it comes to sort of political views, um, mm. you know, you get. You get people who are sort of more socialist or libertarian, um, mm. yeah, or even Marxist. I think um, I submitted a patch a while back, and I was mailing with this guy. It was at Marxist something dot. Anyway, yeah. Oh, look out! The reds are under the beds. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he seemed all right, but <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting <laughs> to deal with people who have sort of more alternative or fringe political views. Mm. Um, yeah. And generally, just in practice, um, I haven't had issues with that because it's not really—it doesn't really come into the sort of the code side of things. Mm. You know, if you're reviewing a patch or whatever, it's not like you're talking about politics as well. I shouldn't let that come off as a negative thing, though. I mean, I quite like mm. just all the variety. You even have, um, you know, variety of age as well. So you have sort of yeah. different generations yeah. working on the same code and arguing and discussing the same you know, functionality and how it could be improved. And I quite like that I deal with people of different generations, sort of older yeah. and younger. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the big draw cards of, you know, the whole open source concept um, to, to myself, yeah, for sure. So um, sort of circling back a little bit to what we touched on earlier about, um, you know, some of the different... Uh, licensing options um, sort of on that spectrum between f uh, open source software and free software, um, you know, uh, part of that um, that question around what sort of license is, is most appropriate is um, relating to what the expectations are around um, contributions and you know consumers of um, free and open source software versus those who are contributing back. I'm just curious to know if theoretically if we've got a philosophy like free software or open source software where there's no real hard and fast requirement to contribute back what motivates different parties to to contribute to free and open source software it's kind of a complicated topic um and it's not necessarily the case that people do contribute back even if they you know make the code available there's no requirement for them to get it accepted back into the upstream project um 
What often ends up happening in practice is that it ends up being the least work to contribute back long term. Because mm. if you have to maintain a patch, you know, maybe maintaining one or two patches seems a reasonable thing to do. But then if you have mm. to maintain, you know, 10 over a number of years, you know, this starts to become a burden and, you know, something might break. Mm. And then you have to, you know, scrabble to get this patch that used to work integrated with the new system. And if it's if it breaks in a way that's very hard to fix, you've got a world of pain and like mm, yeah. there's, there's no one to blame but yourself. Whereas if you contributed it back, then the whole project has the responsibility to keep it working. Yeah, yeah. Know, and how much work that'll be depends a whole lot on, you know, how much the project is changing. And you know, it could just be that you're lucky and this is an area that doesn't change often and, and there's no problem with the that particular patch being updated. But in general, if you make a lot of patches on a project, just maintaining them all, it becomes a job. Hmm. And, you know, that, yeah, that's yeah, sure. money. Someone has to be paid to work on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guess in those situations, it's really just um, self-interest on the part of um, those those businesses consuming open source software, and um, it's just in their interest to um, uh, to to get involved to some extent to sort of leverage um, the uh, the resources available via those open source communities. Yes, and I think that's one of the better arguments, sort of against copyleft. Even is that mm. even if you don't have the requirement to contribute back. If you know what's good for you, you'll actually you'll contribute back anyway, just because um, it, it just ends up being worth your while in most cases. Mm. Um, mm. Although there's all sorts of exceptions, and there's pretty good arguments against that too. Mm. Uh, I think I think one of the situations where you might not have to contribute back is if you're a very very big company and you can basically replace the whole development team of the project yeah. that you're taking the code from, and in that case. Yeah there's really no issue contributing back because you're basically becoming the new maintainers and you're employing all the developers. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think small projects are more at risk of that happening. For, for bigger projects with large code bases, the risk of someone wanting to become the maintainer is very low because it's quite expensive to, you know, to have all the people on staff to do all that work. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so in summary, I mean, contributing back is generally in everyone's best interest and, um, and even on projects that don't require it, companies often end up doing it yeah yep and one other or one one last area i was interested in in covering in in this discussion today was um whether whether we think um the open source approach um could be a useful approach in fields you know beyond just uh, code development um you know i've yeah, you know, some of the thoughts we had were around using open source, an open source approach for development of you know laws and policy and um, standards and that sort of thing. Um, what's I mean, what's your view? What's your thought on that, Cam? That's a really big topic. You've just um, mm. just opened up there. <laughs> <I've> just <laughs> yeah, just you know, let's have our legal system develop laws in a completely new way. It's collaborative. Yeah, what do you think about that? Um, I think lots of things about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe worth mentioning, um, like, smaller things that we could do. Well, it might be worth mm. mentioning, like, other smaller things first. Um, like, something that that I've often thought is just to do with transparency. So, if you work in an office, you might have a spreadsheet or you might have a Word document. And just from knowing people who've worked in offices, no one seems to know what other people are working on. 
Like they don't have mm. a commit history, they don't have diffs. And it just seems like without it having to be kind of like a snooping on your coworker kind of, a, you know, it shouldn't have to, to feel like a, an invasive thing. But when you're used to every commit you do being public, it just mm. seems like that's an obvious good. And yeah, if you yeah. like someone doesn't have to ask you what you've been working on because they can just look at your commit log. Yeah. And see. And it also it just keeps everyone a bit honest too. So if there's a person in an office and, you know, I don't know what they've been working on the last week, like like that discussion shouldn't have to happen. And it's not really fair on that person either. Like they shouldn't have to, you know, spend time justifying their job either. Hmm. So I think that just seems like an obvious area that could be could be improved. I mean, also the, this practical stuff, you know, if someone made a change that broke something, like just being able to see when the change was made. Yeah. And I mean, like f- from my own experience working for a, a utility company and there's lots of, you know, internal documentation, um, like works practices, documentation and process stuff and that sort of thing. And, you know, if that was all, um, you know, managed via, like an uh, like an open source approach with you know um, source control and that sort of thing. It just think, make things so much more straightforward. Um, like you say, you know, being able to identify exactly what changes occur and when, and um, you know who who did the commit and all the rest of it. Um, because we spend so much of our time sort of chasing our tail, trying to work out. Um, who the owner is for a particular document and who made the changes and, you know, which, which version we're talking about because, you know, the only way we have of, you know, doing version control for those internal documents is, you know, just um, applying manual um, version numbering systems to, you know, Word documents and so on. It, it would just make life much, much easier if, um, if we had that approach with um, doing that sort of work. Yeah, a few things to flag here. I mean, it's not necessarily open source, like having transparency in your workflow. I mean, open source, open as in open within the confines of of, of a particular business. Okay, so transparency within the business. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, sort of mentioning this because, you know, that you could have really good closed source software that enables transparency too. And I think I heard yeah. um, Microsoft Teams or Office 360 has something that's improving in this area. You can at least see what people are doing when. Um, But I I haven't used that, Uh, just mentioning it. Um, And the other thing is this sort of heavily biases uh, plain text, at least in the current available version control solutions. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it really only works for plain text. So this is why it's not an easy thing for companies just to pick up. And that's uh, like it's almost a topic for another episode but um this the the fact that you know the the general business world has forgotten that you know plain text is a thing um you know puts them at such a disadvantage from what what could be possible for them if they are able to adapt their approach to um to to make the most of uh of you know controlling all of their internal documentation and that sort of thing with plain text methods yeah i mean for for documents like text documents that makes sense for spreadsheets and stuff i'm not sure hmm. i think you'd maybe need some diffing system that uh is integrated into the into the software yeah yeah, yeah. irrespective it's not an unsolvable problem yeah i know that this this concept of uh, uh combining open source with uh 
development of you know, you know laws and legislation is is not a not a small topic. But I mean, <laughs> let's, let's just address I, the big issues in our our society <laughs> on our sixth episode. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Our sixth episode will will resolve all of the issues with um, formulation of legislation and and government. Um, no, I mean like. I've I've had the thought in the past that um, it's to to my mind what would be ideal is you know obviously you elect uh, you elect a government to to govern and um, that there's they there's those internal processes within government to you know appoint civil servants and that sort of thing to handle. Um, development of legislation and um and you know uh, maintain the law and order system and that sort of thing i i feel like it would be good if those policy documents and and legislation were you know a lot more open and available to um you know every citizen to be able to view and um and and just introduce some sort of feedback loop like you know I, I could imagine that you know obviously um, legislators need to have have final final veto power of their basically the project maintainers but it would be nice if it was possible for um, any member of the public to be able to um, you know um, yeah, you know, submit a, submit a pull request to make a potential change to a bit of legislation, or uh, or provide a suggestion or something, and then, and then, you know, legislators being the the project maintainers have the ability to you know either um, accept or reject you know that patch. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure why there'd really be any significant issue with doing it that way. Um, I think the initial issue you would get is just having to triage all the different random requests to change laws. I think that's the yeah, yeah. the biggest issue initially. And then it's sort of a filtering problem. It's like, well, how do you like how do you even pick things that are worth your time considering? I think it's it's mm. um a little bit different to software because software has a higher barrier of entry. You need to be able to code. Not yeah, well, but yeah. you need to be able to code. And there's also the fact that the software has to compile and, you know, like it has to work on some level. People have to use the software and, and te- test that something worked. Whereas if you're writing legal text, there isn't um, like, you know, you can't just run a command on that text to say that it's like correct, correctly formulated legal <laughs> legalese, you know. It, it's like yeah. a human has to do yeah. that. And that, so the human yeah. becomes the bottleneck, I think. Yeah, sure. So, so sure. I think that's the, sort of the initial problem that means that it wouldn't necessarily scale as well. I think it's a little unfair to write off the whole idea just because of that. Hmm. If there were ways that the suggestions that had more merit would bubble to the top. Some some way of filtering uh, contributions. Yeah, well, even though I don't particularly like to, to filter the people who can contribute, you could just say, like, anyone who contributes has to prove they have some level of education that means they're qualified. Yeah, and I mean, like, it, that's... I suppose that's the same issue you come up with, uh, come up against for any sort of um, field outside of um, code development that you'd potentially look at applying an, an open source approach to. Um, I mean, yeah, one other area that came up to my mind was um, the development of um, technical standards. Um, I mean, I, I deal with um, technical standards documents a lot in, in my work and... Um, 
it's a, there's always a a resource issue with you know having the you know the the um, the resource available to you know um, develop standards documents as, as rapidly as they need to be developed based based on you know the ever changing landscape of you know um, you know uh, work requirements and that sort of thing um, that there's always changes that need to be made and and you need to have you know um, dedicated groups um, involved with um, making those updates to standards and that sort of thing but I mean often you know good suggestions for like I know um, internally within my business um, there's you know we we have um, like technical standards that we internal technical standards that we need to follow for for our work and often you know the guys at the coal face dealing with actual projects and that sort of thing will um, they they see opportunities for you know common sense um, changes to the standards that we have to um, follow but it's often a bit of an uphill battle um, sort of getting the audience with the people um, in control of those documents to, to make any potential changes and there's you know a big process to go through to um to, to get any changes incorporated and maybe if there was you know an alternative method for um, you know, contributing some of those ideas to uh, development of those documents that that might be beneficial, but it's it's the same it's the same sort of story as you know using that approach for um, laws and policy documentation. It's it's about like you say, Cam, sort of filtering out the spam and, and making sure that um, the contributions that you actually do spend the resource reviewing um, are uh, are worthwhile. Yeah. Um- in the field you're talking about, it seems a lot more practical because you could have, you know, qualified electricians and well, people who are actually using the specifications, like they have a reason yeah. to care about this stuff. And so it's unlikely that you'd get like random people just, mm. you know, having an opinion on on some yeah. fairly esoteric specification. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Whereas with the law, I think you'd attract, you'd attract... Uh, the crazies. I think... Yes, with Laura, I think you'd attract the crazies. So, yeah, it's it's a shame though. It really irks me to say like, oh yeah, you'd have to have a law degree or something because I think like a part of the the benefit of um yeah of this system is that uh you could have people. accessibility for the people. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a shame. It seems like an unfortunate concession to have to. Uh, mm. To say, oh, well, mm. you have to have like this degree or that degree or, you know, maybe they really know mm. what they're talking about because they've got practical experience and then you miss out on their contributions. So that's mm. that's a shame and I'm not sure how, how you would deal with that. I mean, maybe it just so happens that their work doesn't bubble to the top and it's not an issue either. Yeah, yep. So while I haven't looked at this website at any length, uh, there is a website to do um, sort of collaborative law writing um, and it has also happens to have a method of uh, funding so you can put money towards laws to be written um, mm-hmm. I have no affiliation with these people I just heard about the site um, so it's turq.io and it will be interesting mm. to see how that works yeah so what do you think of that Did so, you yeah. Have- well yeah I mean like I had a quick look at it, uh, look at it. I mean from, from what I can tell um, it's more it's more from the perspective of being an effort of trying to offload some of the workload from you know um professional lawmakers onto 
you know, willing volunteers um, just to, to, to manage the workload. Um, and I'm not sure... I mean, the the idea about sort of funding these quote unquote citizen lawmakers, um, I'm not sure about that idea, but maybe that's part of um, their method of, of of doing a bit of filtering for for contributions and that sort of thing. But I mean, yeah, like you say, it's an interesting idea, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And obviously, this demonstrates that you know the the broad concept is something that you know, has occurred to more people than, than just us, obviously. So, you know, we might be seeing more of this sort of thing in future. It's something that I hope multiple people try and tackle, in fact. You know, before Wikipedia, mm. there were other attempts to do um, large sort of large encyclopedias, I think even maintained online. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not necessary that the first one is going to be the successful project, yeah, the, but it's, it, yeah. is, it is interesting to see if... if this uh, picks up or if if members of parliament even take any interest in it because at some point it does need yeah. you know people to pick up these laws and actually try and pass them <laughs> that's right yeah and I think yeah I mean this, this is American too so it might not be as a, you know as appropriate in all, all political or, contexts or vice versa I mean it may work in other countries that aren't America yeah yeah that's right but yeah I think you know, I think it's obvious the the advantage advantages that you have in an open source approach um, in the realm of um, uh, code development, and um, I think you know there's a real potential for some of those advantages to be applic- applicable in other fields of endeavour. You know, so um, yeah, I mean it's interesting to to go through. Um, these topics and and like I said before, it'll be interesting to see where some of these um, these initiatives go in future. Yeah, is it worth mentioning some of the things where it doesn't seem to work very well, like where it's been tried and doesn't work well? Yeah, sure, sure. So I think generally, uh, like creative projects, like computer games, often don't seem to work as well, mm. um, just because they're sort of a lot more sort of it's more like a book or a. It's like the vision of one person or the vision of a team of people. Yeah. And so yep. if you're going to submit a change, it's not, you know, you can't just say, oh, this is a change that makes it 10% faster or something, you know, like an optimization. Mm. It might, the change might be to make it a different kind of game. And if that's not the author's intention or if that's not what mm. the people working on it want, uh, it's it, it's basically more subjective. Like the changes are more subjective. Mm. And there's yeah, all, you yeah. know, the whole games industry is quite different as well, which is another whole other discussion. That makes sense to me. Like, um, I could see how, you know, an open source approach um, would be effective for, um, you know, the development of technical projects, but not, not effective for development of, you know, artistic projects. Yeah, or at least sort of more like story-driven projects. I mean, I think the, the limitations mm-hmm. are similar for why writing a book collaboratively online doesn't well it's not the most common way of writing books i'm sure it's been done yeah, and maybe yeah. it's been done successfully i should mention that computer games have been made successfully too it's not like it hasn't been done or it can't be done it's just it doesn't seem to be uh it doesn't seem to be such a successful way of working or yeah yeah and i mean like if i mean you know um 
it's not really a straightforward thing to do source control for like a an artistic image or something similar but i can imagine if that was possible then you know an open source approach wouldn't really be very effective for a group of people trying to develop one single um art piece you know like it's like you said before it's um for for uh, projects that are are all about trying to deliver on a sort of a singular vision. Um, that's that's not really something that um, an open source approach is really really all that effective for. Um, uh, it's more, because open source is like is more like developing something by by committee, um, and um, uh, there's there's just sort of a fundamental difference between those those two well, different it types of projects. Different the development by committee because uh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, usually you have um, like maintainers of an area and they're like, hmm. they can. Well, sorry, development by consensus. Okay. Yeah. And it's the consensus that someone's a maintainer because they're doing a good job. And if they did yeah. a terrible job, you try and find a different maintainer. Yeah. But but art is not about consensus. Art is about someone having a vision and um, producing a, a work um, based on that vision. And then once that, that work is out and in the wild and people consume that that artwork it then becomes about how different people interpret that vision or or that artwork you know so it's just a fundamentally different concept to my mind yeah i think for similar reasons that we've talked about for books and creative work um, design often suffers for open source applications too like the user interface design or Yeah. yeah that sort of thing again because i feel like that's more of an artistic endeavor well, it's subjective. It's, it's like, what is a good user interface? Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. You know, people will give you different answers and there can be a bias towards adding more options and more options and more options because, of course, if you might want to do something, then why not have a checkbox for it, you know? And then suddenly you have mm. a big user interface people complain about. That's mm. like, that's um, oversimplifying it, but you have these kinds of problems. Mm. Yeah, so it's a bit frustrating because it's not like it's impossible for open source projects to have good user interfaces. It just seems that, you know, multiple people working collaboratively often doesn't end up giving us great user interfaces or sort of incremental changes or incremental additions. You know, things start mm. to look a bit ropey after a while. Um, yeah, yeah could, I yeah. could say more about that, but I think we've been going for a while. So um, <laughs> do you want to wrap it up? Yeah, look, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to go go over this stuff. There's obviously, there's obviously a time and a place for um, an open source approach, and a time and a place for you know a free software approach. Um, and I think there's also a time and a place for you know more a cl- more closed or proprietary approach. Um, there, there's obviously different, um, you know. Um, advantages and disadvantages different motivations and um, it's um, I think you know particularly open source software it's just um, it's it's been a great boon um, um, to you know the software development industry and um, it's it's um, good that um, it seems to have um, made the point that it's here to stay and uh, I think um, we're we're all the better off for it Um, so yeah Good to go over all that stuff and thanks for your time with that, Ken. thank you. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can find them at our website, which is conversationsincode.xyz.
Uh, for any feedback, uh, suggestions, or other thoughts, you can email us at conversationsincode, one word, at gmail.com. Catch you next time. See you later.